Sorry? Actually, I'm not. I didn't send it to her on purpose so that you might actually have to use your Bible. Um, I want to approach this passage a little bit differently today. Uh, it's going to take some help and engagement from you all and uh, some grace from God. Uh, I know what it is that I want, what I have sensed for both today and next Sunday and even the Sunday after that, but it's going to take the grace of God to really pull it off. Um, now, let, let me be clear. As we have made our way through the Gospel of John, what I have tried to do is I've tried to look at each chapter as one distinct segment. So as I read the chapter, I will read the chapter sometimes many, many, many times, and I try to come away with one truth that I want to emphasize for that chapter. And sometimes that's a challenge because there are so many things that are said in a chapter that could be uh, looked into. But I try to pick what I feel like is the one main point that God wants to highlight in that chapter. So, what I'm going to do right now is I am going to read the entire 13th chapter of John's Gospel to you aloud, and you can follow along. What I would like you to do, this is where you engage and help me, I want you to read and to listen to it with a sense of what is the one main point that you see that sticks out here out of the whole chapter. I want you to think about it as I'm reading. What verses, what words sticks out to you? What, if you were to preach this, what would be the one main point? And when we're done, I'm going to talk to you about that, all right? So I want you to pay careful attention as I read this and as you follow along. And if you want, you can even take your bulletin and write on that and say, okay, this is the one word or the one verse that stuck out to me. So you're actually going to help today with this, maybe, all right? Depends upon how right you are in your assessment. I'm kidding. There's no right or wrong. I really want to hear what you have to say. John chapter 13 and verse 1, follow along. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Second. Just lost something else, sorry. Um, where am I? After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, and you got to love Peter. I talk about an extreme guy. He's one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. Lord... Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, excuse me, <clears throat> Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Jesus, Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give him something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify him in himself <clears throat> and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, what I want to do, and again, uh, this is an opportunity for you to engage yourself in the Word of God. What I would like is to hear from you, for those of you that felt like you came to something as I was reading it, what one word or one thought or one verse that you feel like is the key verse that captures perhaps for you what would be the main topic that God is highlighting for you. Now, in saying that, let me be very clear. This is not an opportunity for you to go on and on and on and preach. That's why I'm already paid the big bucks. Okay? This is an opportunity for you to briefly share something. And if you start to go too long, I'll have to pull a lever or something. 
this is an opportunity for you just to say, I, I feel like this is what you said. So, all right, you got to have to speak loudly so everybody can hear you. Okay, somebody else. Service. Yes. Okay, good. God has a good timing. Someone else? Okay, good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Good, good word. Anyone else? Yes. Okay. His love and service were not negatively impacted by the hard things that he knew about people. Yes. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Anyone else? These are all good catches. There's no wrong answer. There's only one right answer, mine, but that's it. You know. <laughs> you know I'm kidding. Go ahead, Tom. Okay, good, good. One of the major portions. Anyone else? Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Anyone else? Yes, I see a couple of hands. First Jed, go ahead. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Just as a whole other aside, he says, the one with whom I dip bread and give it to him, and then the next verse says he gave it to Judas. 
and yet they didn't seem to still know it. It makes me wonder. I have my theories, but Sam. Very good. Excellent. Anyone else? Yes, back. Good? Very good. Okay. Anybody else? Give me one more chance. All right. Good. You guys all had very, very good insights and takes on it. I appreciate it. Um, for myself, uh, where I am going to go and what I want us to kind of look at today and next week and probably the next week even, uh, although the next week would get into the next chapter, but it's still applicable to this. Uh, is I felt like what God highlighted for me was the whole theme about love. In the very first verse, it says, He loved His own to the very end. And I love that idea that God loves us knowing our ends, and by the way, knowing everything else that comes in between. How many of you have been walking with Jesus for a while now? Uh, let me ask you this way. How many of you have been walking with Jesus for more than... 40 years. 40 years. Okay. All right, hands down. Now, how many more than 30 years? That would, you, you, if you guys raise your hands at 40, you don't have to raise them again. I'm just, okay, 30 years to 40. Okay, all right, 20 to 30 years. Okay, far more. How about 10 to 20 years? Oh, yeah, there were, that's more. All right, how many 5 to 10 years? How many between one and five years you've been walking with Jesus? Here's my point. For those of you that have been walking with Jesus a short time, or those of you that have been walking with Jesus a long time, a lot of stuff happens in life, doesn't it? Stuff that you never anticipated, you never expected. Stuff you did that were stupid stuff, that got yourself in trouble, or stuff that others did that got you in trouble, but a whole lot of stuff happens, and you look at it, and you remember what Jesus said, you're already all clean. I've cleansed you. Because he loves you to the very end. And then, of course, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, I don't normally do this, and there's a reason why I don't normally do this. But what I would like to do is to kind of, if you will give me liberty, I'd like to reword verse 35 just a little bit. So if you look at it in your translation, my translation, the New King James says, by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. But the Greek says more literally, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. I didn't change that part. But here is where it becomes a little bit more like Yoda. Uh, for those of you that know Greek, that'll make sense. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if love you have to one another. If love you have to one another. Now, put those two next to each other. The first version says this, if you have love for one another. 
The second version says, if love you have to one another. I want to suggest to you there's a difference between love for and love to. A lot of people, myself included, have at various times felt love, but it doesn't mean we did anything to demonstrate it. But in order for love to be two, it has to be demonstrable. It has to be something that you manifest. And I think what Jesus is saying, both by his words, but by his actions, and I think Sam captured it a little bit, when he says he gave us an example. We have to demonstrate our love. How do we demonstrate our love? Partly by our service. So I love the fact that here, in these two renderings, which by the way, I believe even in the New King James or any other translation you have, you still could come to the right conclusion if you read that verse alongside a bunch of other verses. That love is to be active. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's a behavior. It's something you do. It's also a mindset. You have to have a certain kind of way that you think about people that then affects also how you feel about them. But we are to have love to one another. But then the question is, what, what does love really look like, especially as it relates to us as a family of believers? Now, Again, I want to keep this message a little bit shorter. This is kind of like, for me, personally, an introduction to what I want to say next week. And I have been working on this for quite some time. But what I want to do is I want to point out just a couple things. Verse 34, if you'll look at that. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Jesus comes along and says, I've given you a new commandment. Now, how many of you have read the Bible? How many of you have read the whole Bible? Any of you? The whole Bible, through and through. Okay. How many of you have read the Old Testament through, all the way, including the genealogies? <laughs> I see hands going down. <laughs> okay, you skim read those, all right? And the, you know, where the temple thing, all that, you skim that. I understand, I understand. But my question is this, is love really a new commandment? I mean, do we not find love in the Old Testament? Interestingly, I did a word search. And the word love occurs 147 times in the Old Testament. That's not a new concept. Verses like this, um, Proverbs 10, 12. And you don't have to write these down. Just, I want you to hear that love is not a new concept. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife. And boy, is that true these days, if ever that's true. But, here's the answer to what's going on. Love covers all sins. Love covers. Love. Even in the Old Testament, even in the Old Covenant, love was still at work. Proverbs 15, 7. I like this one. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. It's saying basically it's better to have salad with somebody you love than to have a banquet with people you don't even like. Proverbs 17.9. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Covers a transgression seeks love. So 
Love is not a new concept. And even in the New Testament, prior to the point at which we have just read in John 13 where Jesus says this, Jesus talked about love. Listen to these verses. Matthew 5.44 But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Even before he gave these verses in chapter 13, he'd already said we're to love. Luke 6, 32, 36. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. And we could go on and on. So the idea of love is not a new concept. So why does he then say, I give you a new commandment? What makes this a new commandment? What do you think? Yes. Ha-ha! If you read the rest of the verse, isn't that what he says? A new commandment I give unto you, that you should love one another as I have loved you. In the same way, to the same degree, we are to love one another. Now, how did Jesus love us? And isn't that really the rub? That's where we begin to chafe up against it. Who was sitting at the table while Jesus spoke these words? His disciples. Can you name the disciples? There were 12 disciples. Jesus came to Simon, Peter, Andrew, James's brother, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Thaddeus, Jude. Ju Judas was there? And don't forget Bartholomew. Judas was there? Jesus washed Judas's feet? And though he knew he stole, because he carried the box, and when it says he carried the box, it says he was helping himself to it. Though he stole money from the treasury, Jesus still picked him and gave him that responsibility. And Jesus still loved Judas. He still loved Peter, who he said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. He still loved the other disciples who all fled away. And he still loved, even to the cross, where he denied himself and died for us. Because isn't that really the heart of love? Isn't love ultimately, at its core, dying to yourself? Choosing somebody else, preferring one another over yourself? But that's the kind of thing that Jesus done. So, think about, if we are called to love one another... The question I ask you, and it's something I've been grappling with for a long time now, months, is are we as a family here at Family Life Church, are we as a body of believers, as a church, are we really a loving community? I want you to ask yourself that. Are we a loving community? Do we demonstrate how we love? in ways that it's clear to others that they are loved? Or do we put conditions upon it? I will invite you over, but you better invite me over. 
I mean, isn't that the kind of thing you just said? You know, lend to those who will give you back? I'll give gifts. I like to give gifts, but you better make sure you give me a gift, and your gift better be at least worth as much as my gift was to you. You laugh, but how many of us do it? We measure love by how many gifts people buy us. Do they remember us? Did they remember to say thank you on Facebook? Because I go down when it's my birthday. I go down and I make sure that everybody in the church is. If you're not there, if you're on Facebook and you didn't say thank you, then there's a problem. The question is, oh, everybody's now thinking, did I ever say it? The problem is, it's easy to say we're a loving community, but do we love like Jesus loved? Um, I think a next question ought to be, and these, this is more like, again, just an introduction to what we're going to do next week, so it's a bit shorter. Um, who did Jesus love? Let's be more specific. I agree, he loved all. Who? Sinners. Can you name some? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that so loudly. <laughs> His disciples, let's think about that for a second. Who, who were some of his disciples? What, what, what were they like? Who were they? What, what, what was he like? What did he do for a living? What, what are fishermen like? Smelly, dirty, huh? Rough around the edges. Have you ever been around fishermen? I mean, real fishermen? I don't talk about where we go out and we cast the line. I'm talking about fishermen, fishermen, who make their living doing it. They are often pretty foul-mouthed. They're not fun to be with. They're kind of like truckers sometimes when you think about truckers in that way. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I knew as soon as I said it, he's going to look at me and say, not me, thank God. I went to work for a trucking crew when I was 16. Lease construction, and they did like the roads all over the place, and they would haul these huge, you know, concrete culverts and stuff all over the place, huge. I learned swear words, and I grew up in a house where swearing was common. I learned swear words there that I didn't even know could be swear words. So these guys, foul mouth. Who else, what other profession was in among the disciples? A tax collector, an IRS agent. They're popular anywhere. They're the life of the party. Everybody wants an IRS agent on your invite list. And by the way, I would suggest that that period of time, they hated the IRS agents more than even we do. Because for us, they're kind of invisible. It's like the only time we even know anybody is, is when we call them on the phone and we get a different answer every time we call the IRS. They had to live among those people. In order to be a tax collector, you had to bid on the job. You had to say, for this region, for this city, I will collect for Rome so many taxes. And the higher amount is the one who got the job. And so then he would say, okay, I'm going to collect this much taxes, but I need something for myself, so I collect a little bit more. And the Jews hated them. So you have fishermen who are rough around the edges. Good way to put it. And you had tax collectors. Who else? What's a zealot? Hmm. What's another word that we could use today? A terrorist. A terrorist. 
That's exactly what they were. The zealots, here's what they were known for. They were known for hating the Romans so much. These guys were men that were Jewish in their nationality. They hated the, um, the Roman occupiers so much who had come and taken over their country that they had developed what was called the curved knife. You see it sometimes, you know, a knife with a little, looks like a sickle almost, except for it's a little bit stiffer. And they, they actually made a rotating buckle on their belt. And they would come up behind Romans in a crowd, and they would just stand close to them and then take that thing and go like that and disembowel them right in front of people. They were terrorists through and through. And Simon, can you imagine, by the way, Simon the Zealot, who hated all things Roman, having to take meals with Matthew the IRS agent. That had to have been fun. What was Jesus thinking? You had intellectuals like Bartholomew, who just liked to sit under trees and think. Philosophers. You had all kinds of different people there. What other kinds of people did you find hang out with Jesus in the Bible? What is that? Prostitutes. That's not right. That can't be. Who else? Sure. People who were possessed by demons. And in our day and age, often that comes across as a, a thing that's like all old. That doesn't happen today. But the truth is, people can still be influenced directly by demonic forces. Who else? Pardon? Exactly, the ill. But think about some of the ill. I don't know about you. How, how many of you guys like to hang out with sick people? You just, it's like your life calling. All right, you nurses, cut it out. You're ruining this whole thing. Think about it. When somebody is sick, I don't care if it's even your spouse, and your spouse is hanging over the toilet trying to get there quick, and he doesn't make it. No one likes it. Or, honestly, one of the groups of sick people, I mean, Jesus dealt with the maim, the uh, halt, the mute, the deaf, the all the blind, the dead. But who? I'm sorry. Lepers. Lepers who, if you touched them, it was considered contagious and you could get leprosy. Probably today, the closest example we have to leprosy would be AIDS. Something that people are deathly afraid of and want to kind of keep them off all onto their own. And yet Jesus hung out with all of these kinds of people. He hung out with religious leaders. Oh, he had some really very strong things to say to many religious leaders. But some of those religious leaders were attracted to him. Nicodemus was a religious leader who came to Jesus and said, I see something in you that I've never seen in anybody else. You need to help me. How do I get what you got? And Jesus said simply, you have to be born again. Nicodemus, who's brilliant. Remember, in order to be a religious leader in their day, you had to have memorized completely the first five books of the Bible. He was brilliant. Jesus said, you got to be born again. He says, I don't got a clue. It's kind of what Kathy was saying. He said all of this, and they still didn't understand him. Nicodemus was like that, but he liked to be with Jesus. The rich young ruler. The rich and the poor. 
um, Gentiles, people of different faith streams, even like to hang out with Jesus. Today, probably the best example for us would be people like the Muslims. You know, all those people that so many so-called Christians want to kick out of our country? The very people that Jesus came to die for? That he loves every bit as much as he loves you? And by the way, if there ever was a radical in that day, it would have been Saul of Tarsus who became Paul the Apostle. But he liked to hang out with people like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. Even the Catholics and the Methodists, both free and not so free. We joke about that among our clergy. Sorry. Or the Baptists. He didn't care about titles. He cared about hearts. And he loved them with all of his heart right to the end. He loved all kinds of people. And I agree with what was said. If we could take this whole group of people that Jesus had that liked to be with him and he liked to be with them, you could sum it all up with a simple one word. Sinners. Sinners. Just like you and me. Now, um, when I think about uh, groupings of people, when I think about the kinds of people that Jesus hung out with, I think some of the people that Jesus would have hung out with today are people that we would call handicapped. When I grew up, uh, we had uh, a different mindset than what is in schools today. The handicapped went to their own school, and they were odd, and they always sat in the front of the bus because if they got in the back, they got picked on. Those are the very people Jesus actually liked to hang out with. People with brokenness in their lives that kind of manifest itself in weird ways. He liked to hang out with those. People who struggled with real sin. He even liked to hang out with them. So much so that the religious leaders would often say to him, don't you know who it is that you're sitting with? And it says Jesus liked to sit with sinners. Now, I have said to you before, many, many, many times, um, but I will make it my life mantra. I've been walking with Jesus for a while now, uh, probably 40-some years. But after walking with Jesus for 40-some years, i got to tell you, i still got stuff in my life. It's not good. And I've been walking with most of you guys long enough to know that you got stuff too. I got stuff, you got stuff. We all got stuff, right? How many of you got stuff? Yeah, come on, you got stuff. So, when I think about us being a loving community of believers, I think about the people who come in the doors of this place. And my question is, do they feel as comfortable with us as they do with Jesus? I'm not asking you to answer. I'm asking you to think. Do people who come in, I mean, we've had people, literally, we've had people in this church complain because we've had the handicapped people come in and sit in the back there and they make loud noises during our worship and say, it's distracting. I don't think they should be there. Do people who are handicapped feel loved by us? Do people who have real sins, you know, real serious sins, you know, like sins that you and I have, 
do they feel comfortable here? Do they feel loved here? Do they feel accepted here? Or do we say to them, come on in. We'll help you get your life in order. We'll help you clean up a little bit. Help you get a bath so that you can be all cleansed. And then we'll like you. Philip Yancey, uh, some of you would know Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey wrote a lot of books, but one of the books he wrote was called What's So Amazing About Grace? And in his introduction to the book, I believe it is, he tells about a friend of his who was on a train ride across the nation. And on this train ride, it just so happened that the way in which they were seated was you would have seats that faced this way and another seat that faced this way. So you actually faced one another. And then I guess at mealtimes they would have a table, swing up, and you'd have meals, whatever. But while this friend of his was on the train, he was sitting across from a young woman. And they struck up a conversation, so he asked her about her life. And she told how she had run away from home when she was a young girl and gotten involved with the wrong crowd, began to do drugs, and became so dependent upon drugs that she was willing to do anything, to lie, cheat, steal, even to prostitute herself in order to get money for her drugs. And now she's on the train because she's pregnant and her pimp no longer wants her and she has nowhere to go and no hope for life. And the friend of Philip Yancey's hearing this story says to her, well, have you ever considered going to the church for help? And this was her reply. Church? I already feel bad enough about myself. Why would I go there? And although I am hesitant to generalize, I still believe it is generally true that for many, church can feel like an unsafe place. And we can feel like unsafe people. In fact, for many here in this place sitting here today, this feels like an unsafe place for you to be real. To be honest about your stuff. We learn early on it's better to put on masks, to cover up with fig leaves, just like Adam and Eve to hide our stuff because we're afraid if anybody ever really knew we had that kind of stuff, they wouldn't accept us anymore. People who still struggle here in this room with lying, with stealing, with backbiting, with criticism, with pornography, with same-sex attraction. But we put on labels so that we know whether we can accept that group of people or not. And is that not what's happening in our nation today? I think about the show that used to be on years ago called Cheers. I know none of you want to admit you ever watched it. Um, I love the scene where the door would open and there would be one of the regular patrons. His name was Norm. And what would everybody do? Norm! It was their way of saying, you've got a place here. And the truth is, they, they all had problems. They all hung out in a bar all the time because they had no other life. They were a mess. But they found their church at that bar. And so do a lot of other people at the bars downtown. That's their church. That's where they find acceptance. It's where they find love. My father-in-law used to say, church was intended by God to be a hospital to heal the broken. And instead, we have made it a museum where only the best and the brightest are showcased. 
we like everybody to see how much we've grown. We tell them our old stories, to quote Cindy Scott recently when she was talking to me. We tell them our old stories about how I used to be like this, but I'm no longer like this anymore. When the truth is what people need to hear is our current stories. These are areas where I'm still struggling, but by the grace of God, I'm seeing his handiwork in it. He's not done with me yet. Yeah, you still see stuff in my life, but I still see the grace of God. I'm not the way I was, but I'm not the way I'm going to be either. And that's what we say to people. Okay, we all got stuff. But Jesus loves sinners. He accepts sinners. Love one another as Christ loved us. Um, What I'm intending to do next week is I want to look at this a little bit more in terms of um, what are the things that happen in our lives that help to create stuff, that create the lies that we sang about this morning that are the other voices that we've been hearing too much. What I wanted to do today was just to lay the groundwork for the truth. The truth is we all have stuff. We're all sinners. We're, we're, we're kind of this weird hybrid. We're sinners and yet we're saints. We're saints because of his grace, but we still got stuff. And we probably will still have stuff until the day Jesus returns. The problem is most of us don't want to admit we have stuff. We want to make sure everybody thinks we're way better than what we really are. Um, I wore my, uh, well, to quote Gary, I wore my car salesman suit today. (laughs) That's what he told me. He says, you look like a car salesman in that suit. I don't know why. But I wear a suit. And you can dress up in suit. You can dress up in a lot of different ways. If you go to a more relevant church than our church, because they're much cooler, I would have had on skinny jeans and a t-shirt and a jacket is all. But we all have our uniforms to dress up in order to look a certain way. But the truth is, to quote Fount Schultz, all of those are just t-shirts we put on to convince people we are something we're not. Because we're afraid that if they ever got to the bottom layer, it wouldn't look good. So next week, it is my intention to actually begin to talk about some of those t-shirts in our lives, some of the stuff that we have an opportunity to bring into the light. The scripture says it's only when we bring stuff into the light that it actually can be dealt with. Do you know Jesus can't heal your fake self? You know, that pretend stuff that you bring? He can't. Jesus can't touch your masks. He can only touch your real soul where it's really broken, and he can do something. The truth is, too many of us, have spent, we've done stuff in our lives for which we have had guilt. But if you have come to Jesus, you've brought all that stuff before Jesus, and he's forgiven you of that. But we're left with this feeling of shame. And that's what I want to get at next week, is why shame is so debilitating. It takes away our confidence in our salvation, in God, and our ability to actually deal with real people. So much so that when people come to us with real stuff, we give them an aspirin for cancer. Because I'm so uncomfortable dealing with their stuff. I don't know how to do it, because I have not dealt with my stuff. So that's what I want to look at. Now, with all of that in mind, We have a dinner tonight. And by the way, that room is going to be filled with real people. Because you're going to be there. 
oh, you thought I meant them? No, I meant you. Real people with real stuff. Meeting real people with real stuff who need to know the love of God. And I hear people say, well, yeah, that's not, that's not in my wheelhouse. I, 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 that's not my area of gifting. I'm sorry, your area of gifting is not to love people? Is that really true? Maybe you don't feel as comfortable meeting people, but can you, for just a brief moment, understand that for some of those people, as has been said earlier this morning in our prayer time, for some of those people, you realize that as far as they're concerned, coming to our meal once a year means they're a part of our church and I'm their pastor. They literally say that. I have been introduced to people who will say, oh, I go to your church. Really? Because, I mean, we're pretty small. I know everybody here, I think. Yeah, we go to your church. I said, well, really? I, I, I'm sorry, what's your name? And they'll tell me the name. I said, oh. Yeah, don't you remember? I go to the Harvest Dinner every year. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad to know that you feel accepted enough that you want to be a part of us. And maybe one day they'll actually come in the doors and be a part of us. But until then, we'll go in their doors and be a part of them. Tonight is an opportunity for us to actually enter people's lives. People who have real stuff. So, would you stand with me? We're going to get together tonight, and I have to tell you, my perspective, my perspective, is it's a lot of fun. You get in there, and you serve the food, and people are, they're interesting. Some people want to make sure they're first in line. Some people want to make sure they have three or four plates that they can balance on their arms. Who cares? You sit down and you talk to people. You interact with people. It can be a really fun night if you will let it be. You can go in with a smile and say, I'm bringing some food. I'm going to put it in with the rest of the food. By the way, don't worry about making sure that your food looks just perfect because it's all going to be dumped in together anyways. <laughs> so I, 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 we had people come in and they made their mashed potatoes so pretty and they put you know some kind of red stuff on the top of it, whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, and little green stuff too, you know, just something to make it spruced up, I guess. Maybe it was spruce, I don't know. Um, but we're going to take all of that stuff and we're going to dump it into one big pan. Way big, way big. And then it's all going to be handed out. So don't worry about making it pretty. Worry about just meeting people and talking to people and loving people in Jesus. And come prepared next week to actually, let's look at what is the stuff in our lives that has been lies that have been hanging over us too long, leaving us in a prison of shame and fear. Because my opinion is that fear and shame, like mold, grow best in the dark. We need to bring it into the light and say, it doesn't need to be anymore. We don't have to live that way. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for my friends, my family here. I thank you for the time that we've had together in your word, which is far more powerful than any word I've ever said. Your word is living and active. It uh, divides between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Your word is living. It's alive, and it makes a difference in our lives. And Father, you, in your word, said that Jesus gave us a commandment, a new commandment, that we are to love one another as you, Jesus, loved us. Help us to do that, both tonight at this dinner and then every day of our lives to love people as you love the world. And then, Lord, where there's stuff in our lives that we're still dealing with, 
Lord, help us never to feel disqualified because we got stuck, to feel, feel unworthy or unacceptable, but help us to press into you and in pressing into you, press into one another because, Lord, as we bring stuff into the light, it says we have fellowship one with another. That's what we need, Father, for each of us. Now bless each one as they prepare their food today. Uh, help everything to go well. I know it can be uh, frustrating at times when things don't go exactly as you thought with timing, but Lord, I pray that it would go well and that our time tonight would be blessed by your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.